You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Well, good morning. Glad you could be with us today. I do want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 119. I was thinking about that last uh, line of, of um, the song we were singing, Let Your Truth Prevail Over Unbelief. I feel like that fits in so well with what we were talking about even last week where we were in Psalm 78 and just talking about the need that we have to to know God's word, to be able to pass that on to others, uh, and why that's so important for us to know God, to to know him through his word so that we will incline, be inclined to hope in him, to follow him, to trust him. Because if left to ourselves, we are prone to unbelief. We are prone to wandering. And, and I think that word unbelief even needs to be... Um, further defined because typically what we're prone to do is not necessarily to uh, not believe something because there's a lack of evidence for it. It has more to do with the fact that we're, we're prone to not like some of the things uh, that God requires of us because it goes against our, our nature. It goes against our, our flesh, and we want to do the opposite a lot of times. And so we need God's Word to change us and to transform us to overcome the unbelief in our life. Um. So we were talking last week in Psalm 78 about our responsibility to embrace uh, this, this need to teach others about who God is, his attributes, his abilities, his authority, so that together our generation and the coming generations will be inclined to hope in him, to obey him, and not forget him. And so we were really dialed in on that concept of not forgetting God, not forgetting his word knowing it in such a way where it's impacting us regularly, having an impact on our life, um, and in and, and such a way where we don't forsake him. And so we're going to kind of piggyback off of that going into Psalm 119 uh, this week. Uh, Finn Conaway, who's one of our kids here, had asked me several weeks ago if I would teach from Psalm 119. I think he was memorizing it um, in his Bible class at school. And I told him, I said, yeah, it's coming. We'll get to it. And so, uh, today we're going to jump into Psalm 119. Obviously it's a, it's an extremely long chapter, right? So we're not going to cover all of it today. We're going to cover the first 16 verses. Um, it is the, uh, longest chapter in the Bible. It's 176 verses total. It's longer than 17 books in the New Testament. Uh, it's longer than every minor prophet except Hosea and Zechariah. Um, It's an alphabetic acrostic built on the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and each verse and each stanza, so you may have, um, your your Bible may break it down in such a way where you can see uh, the Greek alphabet letters listed after a a portion of verses, right? And so this is how it works. If, if um, If it was in English language originally, then this, this chapter would have been written in such a way where the first stanza, every verse started with the letter A. And then the second stanza, every verse started with the letter B and so on. Okay, so it was, it was written in such a way that it would be easy to remember because we've talked about this, that part of the way that the Psalms are written or part of the reasoning behind the Psalms is God is putting his truth to music. He's putting it to poetry so that it's more easily remembered by the hearer, right? We, we do this. We use music as a means of memorizing important concepts in school. Uh, teachers will use music to help kids understand and remember certain key concepts in their classes, right? Because it's easy to remember with music. And so this is another case where God is choosing to use a psalm to help drive into the hearts of his people important concepts about his word. Um, and you'll know, most of you are probably familiar enough with Psalm 119 to know 
that this is a chapter that's all about God's word and the importance of God's word. There's at least eight different synonyms used for the word throughout uh, this chapter. Um, synonyms for, for the Bible being things like instruction, law, word, decrees, commands, statutes, precepts, promise. Uh, these are words that are regularly being used to help emphasize the importance of God's word. And so we're going to see that today. Um, let's start by looking at our summary sentence. The Bible reveals who God is and what he does, but also tells us who we are and what we must do meaning we must prioritize the understanding and remembrance of his word if we are to live holy and blameless lives for him. The Bible reveals who God is and what he does, but also tells us who we are and what we must do, meaning we must prioritize the understanding and remembrance of his word if we are to live holy and blameless lives for him. For our kids, our understanding of right and wrong must come from the Bible. The Bible tells us who God is. It tells us what God has done, his faithfulness. He's, he's telling us about his attributes and then how those attributes are lived out in history. Uh, but the Bible also tells us much about who we are, both as sinners and then sinners who can be redeemed through the gospel. And by being redeemed in the gospel, it then goes further to tell us who we are to become, conformed to the image of Christ, how we are to live our lives. Um, Psalm 119 begins with this concept of us seeing ourselves in a blessed and blameless state. So let's look together in Psalm 119, verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Why is the Bible so important? Think about that question for a minute. Why is the Bible so important? Why is it so important? Why, 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 have, you, why have you heard from pastors probably your whole life that there's a, a need for you to be in God's word, to be reading it, to study it, to memorize it, to know it, to live it? Why is it so important? I'm going to give you three, three things to consider as we, as we talk about this and as we introduce Psalm 119. One, it's important because of the information contained in it. The Bible helps us to know who God is, what God has done, and what he requires of us. It gives us this information. It tells us who God is, what he has done, and what he requires of us. It tells us about God, and then it proves it by telling us what he has done. I was sharing this uh, with our students in middle school at Trinity this week. Um, the Bible tells us the attributes of God. We talked about this last week from Psalm 78. It tells us who God is, his attributes, his character. It gives us these written recordings of who he is, but it doesn't stop there. 
It doesn't stop there and just tell us the, the, the who or the what God is. It goes further in showing us that this is what it looks like in, in history. This is what it looks like as a visual, right? It tells us these stories of how God's character and attributes are understood by his people, right? So we read things like God is good and God is loving and God is merciful and God is gracious and God is powerful, But the Bible doesn't stop there and just telling us these things about God. It goes further in showing us these things about God too, right? It would be like um, if you're trying to put together something or fix something, you may go to the instruction manual um, that you have that came with that uh, piece of equipment, right? So when, um, when I was growing up, my dad said that one of the most important things you could ever do when you get a new car is to go to AutoZone and buy like the, the more detailed manual that you can get and keep that with your car because that'll help you always do what you need to do to take care of your car, right? These written instructions that tell you about your car and, and basically give you explanation as to what to do. Um, now, some of you have had the unfortunate uh, experience of having to put together something that comes from Ikea. Um, and when you do that, you pull the instructions out and there are like no words to it. It's just pictures and arrows and question marks. And like, it, it just makes you just wonder, like, what is happening here sometimes when you try to put together something? It's difficult, right? Most of us have shifted from instruction manuals to YouTube videos when it comes to putting together stuff or fixing stuff, right? We just skip straight to the video. It's like, hey, don't tell me about it. Show it to me. Show me how this works. Show me how to fix it. Show me somebody else doing this so that I can see it in, in real time, right? We could read the instruction manual, but the YouTube video is so much more helpful because it really just shows it to us. It's kind of how I think about, about how, how God's word both tells us about God, but then it shows us God too. It doesn't just tell us things about him. It shows those things to us, shows those things to us through stories, right? God is good. He's loving. We know this. But then it gives us stories about his good and loving creation, right? How he, how he establishes Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, gives them everything they could possibly need. Shows his love and his goodness in the ways that he creates. Think about the ways that he shows his goodness towards uh, Abraham's descendants, specifically with Joseph, right? This famine is coming and they have no idea about it. God orchestrates and works all these details where Joseph ends up in Egypt, sold into slavery by his brothers, meant for evil. And Joseph, at the end of his life, says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Why? Because God brought me down here, prepared the way so that our family could come and be spared from this famine. We see God's goodness and his, and his love in the wilderness for, for the children of Israel as he's providing manna and water. We're not just told that God is good. We're shown that God is good. We're told that God is powerful, right? That he's all-powerful, he's omnipotent, he can do anything and everything. But it doesn't stop there. It gives us the stories of the Red Sea, how he parts the ocean so that people can walk through on dry land. It tells us the stories of Jericho and the walls falling down. It tells us the stories of, of Jesus healing and fulfilling messianic prophecy that the blind would see, the deaf would hear, the lame would walk. We're not just told that God's powerful, we're shown that God's powerful. We're told that God is forgiving and merciful and gracious. But we're not just told about it, we're shown it. We're shown it when he he doesn't destroy Israel when they worship a golden calf. When they grumble and complain, he raises up the bronze serpent for their healing. Ultimately, we see it on the cross. 
right? He's a, he's, a, he's a loving God. He's a merciful God. He's a forgiving God. He's a gracious God. But we're not just told about it. We're shown it through these stories. And that lays the foundation for why we should follow him. It lays the foundation, right? The Bible lays the foundation for why we should follow him. Because he's a good God. He only wants good for his children. And he's a powerful God, meaning that he's capable of doing good for his children. And he's a forgiving God. So he's not the type of God that calls us to follow him. And then if we fail him, he discards us. No, he's merciful and gracious. I challenged our middle school students this week. Why would you not follow him? Why would you not? If he's good, if he's powerful, right? It's one thing if he's just good, but he can't carry out that goodness. No, he's got the power to carry out the goodness. And he's a forgiving God. We've got a girl specifically that I'm thinking of who is struggling with a lot of things in her life. And it's really, it's really come to the point now where she's, you know, she's just kind of outwardly um, expressing that she's not a believer. And she wrote a paper for one of her classes expressing her beliefs, and, and she's not a believer, right? And that, that came to me. And I don't think it was an accident. I wasn't supposed to speak in chapel on Wednesday. Um, I didn't find out until right before I was supposed to go up there. And so I know that was a divine um, ordained thing from God. <clears throat> because as I'm teaching on this, like for whatever reason, because I mean, we've got almost 400 middle schoolers in, in, in the gym, right? But for whatever reason, I mean, God, God brought her to my attention because I could see her specifically. And it was like everything else just kind of disappeared in that room. And it was like I was directly talking to her, right? Why would you not follow him? Why would you not believe this? Why would you be against this? Like, it doesn't make sense, right? The Bible gives us the information that we need. It gives us the foundation we need to follow him. But then number two, it gives us authorization. It defines for us the morality that we follow. It tells us what we should be doing. This is the correct order. The way that God has has ordained our creation is that he exists He defines morality, he creates man, and then man submits to God's definition of morality. Like that, that's that's the correct flow. God pre-exists, right? He's eternal. So so he's not brought into being, he's always been. He's the authority. He is the definition of morality. He's the definition of right and wrong. And then he creates man, and then we have the responsibility to submit to his definition. But here's the worldly order. The worldly order is that man rejects God in his Bible because he doesn't like it. He disagrees with it because it goes against what he feels, right? So then man decides what he feels is moral, and man seeks to create a God to agree with these parameters that he feels about right and wrong. That's what the worldly order is. The worldly order is you decide what you feel is right and wrong, and then you choose to live that way. And if you can construct a God that fits in those parameters, great, then you can have religion too. But if there isn't a God that fits in those parameters, then you just discard religion. It's the major reason for people leaving Christianity. It's because a person decides that Christianity no longer permits a lifestyle that they want. Therefore, they have to leave it and cleave to something better in their minds. Let me ask you this question. Do I follow a God who determines my morality? Or do I choose a morality that shapes my God? Do I follow a God who determines my morality? Or do I choose a morality that shapes 
my God. As soon as we start to choose morality that we feel over what God says, we've, we've entered into idolatry because we are now shaping a God who does not exist, but he exists for our purposes, right? It's almost like we, we take this perspective, so like we're in the hiring process at Trinity, and I usually have like a list of, uh, of types of things that I'm looking for in a candidate before we make a hire, right? So I'm looking for somebody who fits this, this type of bill, right? Like this type of, uh, of um, description that we need to come onto our staff. And some people, it's, it's as though that they're, they're viewing God that way, right? Like I'm looking for a God that does this, 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 and this, and allows this, 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 and this. And we can't approach God that way. We can't approach God as though he's trying to fulfill a job profile listing that we create. Now, the Bible gives us authorization. It tells us what is right and what is wrong. And then number three, memorization. It's important because the Bible keeps us remembering the information that it gives to us so that it impacts us in our daily moments, right? We've talked about this for a while now that what we want is for the Bible to impact our hearts, our attitudes, our mindset, so that it then flows into our actions on a daily basis in a moment's notice. I had a parent reach out to me this week, her her child struggling with a situation at school, and she said, give me some guidance on how I should help parent my child here. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to encourage her help me with this. And it really boils down to that her child is being um, teased and mistreated for, for doing the right thing, right? And so these kids are doing the wrong thing. Her daughter's trying to do the right thing, and she's being made fun of for it. Um, and she's like, help, help me encourage my daughter, right? And so, so I, was, I told her, I said, let me think about it. I want to give, give you good sound advice, so let me think about it. And so I, I contacted her <clears throat> the next day, and I told her, I said, here's the deal. Like your daughter needs to be encouraged by the fact that, that she is walking a narrow path and she will always be in the minority when it comes to that, whether it's at a Christian school or not, right? If she's choosing to live this way, she is choosing a narrow path. And I said, while it's, it's not necessary that she celebrate the teasing that she's experiencing, I said, but don't forget that the apostles went away praising God, that they were counted worthy to suffer for him. I'm telling her, I said, look, I know your daughter's only in fifth grade. And I know that's a hard message to, to try to embrace and sell. I said, but I believe that the Bible is relevant for a child when they become a believer, not when they reach a certain age, right? So if we're going to tell adults, if we're going to tell adults that we keep doing the right thing, even in the midst of persecution, in the case of this daughter or this girl, in the case of teasing, right? If we're going to tell us, if we're going to tell adults that, that we, we, we stay faithful, we endure the suffering, man, if our kids are believers, we tell them the same thing too, right? The Bible is relevant for every believer of any age, regardless of maturity, and it tells us how to act and react, and it shapes our hearts to do those things, right? And so we need, we need to know it. We need to memorize it uh, so that it can impact us on a daily basis, the Bible gives us the information we need, the authorization we need, the memorization piece, so that we can, we can have our lives changed. And that's what's happening for the psalmist here in 119. He is, he is praising God for what is being done in his life as a result of the word. He's talking about keeping his testimony, seeking him with his whole heart, walking in his ways. He's crying out to God and asking for steadfastness when he's prone to fail. He's keeping his eyes fixed on God's commandments, praising God for those same commandments. 
learning those righteous rules, keeping those statutes. He wants his way to be pure. He wants his way to be aligned with the things of God. And so what's he doing? He's guarding his life by being in the word. He's not wandering from God's commandments. He's instead storing up God's commandments in his heart. He's memorizing the things that he needs to know so that he doesn't forget. He's he's crying out and asking for further teaching. Give me understanding about these things, more understanding about these things. He's praising God for the things that he's learning. He's declaring all the rules of his mouth. He's delighting in the testimonies of God. He's meditating on the precepts of God. He's determined not to forget God's word. Let's look specifically at two things this morning. Number one, you can experience God's blessing by keeping God's word. Experience God's blessing by keeping God's word. It says, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. We experience God's blessing by keeping his word. Number one, my state of blessing with God is directly tied to my attitude and alignment to what he says in his word. My state of blessing with God is directly tied to my attitude and alignment to what he says in his word. It goes back to what we've said for several weeks now. We can't claim the things in Psalms. We can't claim the blessings and the truths of Psalms if we're not seeking to follow him. Right? We, can't, we can't disregard him and do our own thing and then expect that the blessings of Psalms would be applied to us. No, the pattern here is that we're blessed by God if our attitudes are aligning with what he says in his word. This is the pattern that we see in what we're studying in our C groups and D groups this month in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, well, he's of the devil, for the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Which description is the normal pattern of life that you're engaged in? Is it a habit of sinning or a habit towards righteousness? The psalmist would tell us, blessed is the one whose pattern of life is, is, is slanted and geared towards righteousness. Blessed people are those who are known for their integrity, their blamelessness. My state of blessing with God isn't tied to the outward conformity to his commands alone, though. So look back in Psalm 119. It's not just about checking boxes for things that we've done outwardly, because verse 2 goes on to say, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. There's an inward desire for the things of God that's necessary as well. God desires an outward change that's first triggered by an inward change. We see this highlighted for us in Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back 
to this place. This is God speaking to Israel. They've been in the, the captivity, they're going to the captivity with Babylon, but God's promising to bring them back to rescue them. After, uh, after the time that they've been there, the 70 years, verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Man, people love to quote Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. It's a great verse. It's a great verse. I think it applies to Israel at that time. Right, that God has plans for them to save them out of captivity. But I think it applies to us today too. I've told you that when we're grafted into God's people, I think we can look back to these type of promises and say, hey, that's me too. I'm God's people too, right? But we can't just yank that out of context and lose sight of the fact that, man, it also tells us that we will experience this when we seek him with our whole heart, right? Again, you can't claim the promises and blessings of Psalms if we're not pursuing him as well. We first have to have a desire to obey God, and then we should have a desire to pursue that obedience by knowing Him in His Word. A desire to want to obey Him, to want to know. You ever been in a situation where you don't want to obey something, and it's better to stay in a state of ignorance so you don't, you're not held responsible or you don't get in trouble for it, Right? We, we were fishing this weekend at, in North Carolina, and we're trying to figure out if we're even allowed to because it's March, and they're releasing trout into, um, into the streams because they're getting ready for their big heavy fishing season. So they're dumping trout into the streams, and you're, you're not allowed to fish in certain ones, right? And so there was this, this part of us that's like, hey, let's just fish and not really worry about it and not ask questions so that we can do what we want to do. But then there's the the Christian part of us that says, hey, let's, let's ask the right question so we can figure out should we be doing what we're doing here, right? A lot of times it's easy to say, let me, let me just stay ignorant here. Let me just stay uh, in the dark here so that I don't have to obey, right? The psalmist is, is, is drawing this picture of an individual who wants to obey God, who wants to know the commands of God, wants to know the instructions of God, and then goes to God's word to know it, goes to God's word to know the path that he should be on. My state of blessing with God is tied to my attitude and my alignment to what he says in his word. But number two, my state of blessing with God is directly tied to his faithfulness and not my own. Lest we grow sorrowful in thinking that if we're not perfect in being obedient to him, that we would lose a state of blessing with him, we're reminded by the psalmist that it's God's faithfulness and not our own that's really the source of our blessing. The psalmist desires perfect alignment with God's word, but he remains realistic about the limitations that exist. In response to God's command for diligence, the author cries out for God to work steadfastness in him. Look what he says in verse four. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Right, like that's the expectation, God. I know you've told me your commands need to be kept diligently. Verse five, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. 
And he's praying like, God, make me steadfast in doing this because I know that's your desire, but I also know I'm limited in being able to carry that out, right? God, make me steadfast in keeping your statutes. I won't be able to do it on my own. I must remain submitted to a God who only makes righteous good rules for me to follow. Look what it goes on to say in verse 7, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. Right? He's celebrating the rules that he's learning about. He's celebrating the commands of God because they're not burdensome to a true follower of Jesus. They're life-giving. Right? He says, I'm going to praise you for these things. It's so encouraging, verse 8, to me that the psalmist cries out, don't utterly forsake me. And I think he cries that out knowing that God won't. Knowing that God will keep him steadfast, that God won't forsake him. Psalm 27. Let's go back to Psalm 27. Verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble he will conceal me under the cover of his tent he will lift me high upon the rock he will not forsake us he will care for us he will carry us through he will keep us steadfast that's the encouragement found by the psalmist in 119 let's look at the section section second section as we close how do we keep god's word We're seeing in these first eight verses a responsibility that we have. Do we want to be blessed? Do we want to be blameless? We've got to pursue obedience to his word. But how do we do that? How do we keep God's word? Well, it says in verse 9, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I'll seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Number two, we experience God's protection by remembering God's word. We experience God's protection by remembering God's word. How do we stay pure? How do we stay steadfast? How does he not forsake us? Well, it starts with us remembering God's word, not forgetting it, right? He, he ends this section in verse 16 by saying, I will not forget your word. Well, how can he say that? Well, because he's committed himself to knowing it. He's committed himself to knowing it. How do we keep our way pure? Guarding it according to your word. Number one, my capability to remember God's word determines whether I will live a holy life. And the psalmist is, is, is putting these two things together. You want to be pure? You want to be holy? Then you've got to remember and follow through with God's word. Like they go hand in hand, right? So if I want to live a holy life, it necessitates me knowing God's word and following it. It's our roadmap to purity. And it remains our key fighting tool against sin. How do we keep our way pure? We guard it with the word. This idea of avoiding sin, it means knowing the word so well that it always is on our minds to correctly guide us through life. When things are being thrown at us, we're filtering it through God's word and God's word is guiding us how to react and act in those situations. We're to guard the word in our life and then the word performs a guard duty for our heart as well. It says in verse 11, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word guards us from sinning against God if it's a regular part of our life. 
It's pretty common uh, when we talk about temptation, particularly in the context of our, of our kids, of our youth, to talk about how much uh, things have changed over the years and how difficult temptation is today to not give in to it, right? Um, when you think about the type of temptations that are being thrown at our kids and our youth, they've got so much more access to things that are harmful to them than a lot of us did growing up, right? The, the, the introduction of, um, uh, of the internet and uh, smartphones and social media, I mean, it's just giving our kids access to so much. I mean, I'm seeing a rise of, of bad language in, in, the, in the hearts and minds and, and uh, vocabulary of kids at a far younger age than you would have ever seen it previously. You talk to parents and they're like, I don't know, I don't understand because we don't watch those type of movies or those TV shows where their words are being used, right? They're getting it from social media. They're getting it from TikTok where their friends are using this language and and their parents are oblivious to it, right? Temptation is hard today. It's hard today. Our kids are being faced with all kinds of stuff that some of us have never experienced. And I think there's a temptation to think that God's word isn't sufficient for battling that temptation. But here's the thing. While things are harder today, think also about how the solution has not changed and the solution has become far more easy to access today too. Right? Like the psalmist is writing this back in a day when, when the whole Bible's not even written yet. Right? But he's saying, you want to walk purely? I mean, you've got to be in God's word. And now today we've got the whole word, but think about how much more accessible God's word is today to our kids, to our youth, than it was even when we were growing up. The resources that are available, the the things that can be listened to and studied and learned. Man, we have so much more access to God's word today than we ever have in any other points in history. The solution has not changed. We keep our way pure by guarding it according to your word. Yes, temptation is on the rise. Yes, temptation has increased. But the capacity to know God through his word has also increased as well. So many resources, so much available to us to know him. Number two, my capability to remember God's word is both a spiritual and a natural act. There's a role that God plays in us remembering his word, and there's also a role that we play. We're to seek him and to keep listening to him through the teaching of his word so that we don't wander. Verse 12, blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. A desire from the psalmist to keep learning, to keep knowing. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 27. Cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. We can't ever stop learning. We can't ever stop pursuing God and the teaching of God's word. If we do, we'll wander. The psalmist, again, desires perfect submission to God's word, but he relies upon God to provide the strength to do it. It's God, the spiritual act of God, coming in to really help us to remember his word that's so necessary. In verse um, 10, it says, With my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. Right? There's still this prayer from the psalmist. I'm doing my part. I'm pursuing you in your word, but it's ultimately you that I need to come in to make sure that I don't wander from your commandments. Charles Spurgeon says, the man of God exerts himself, but he does not trust himself. The man of God exerts himself, 
but he does not trust himself. So the psalmist here, he's putting forth the effort to know God through his word, but he's also praying to God saying, God, don't let me wander. Don't forsake me. Keep me steadfast. We need to take steps to preserve the word in our heart so that it can be used in every appropriate sense within our life. Colossians 3.16 talks about the word dwelling in us richly. Three things to remember, or three ways to remember God's word. One is to seek understanding by being taught more and more. We see that in verse 12. All right, we need to continually put ourselves under the teaching of God's word. We can't, we can't remove ourselves from being taught God's word or we'll forget. We'll forget what we need to be doing. Number two, to memorize scripture. Verse 11, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We need to memorize scripture, to know it in a moment's notice when things are being thrown our way, to be able to pull from God's word to know how we should act or react. And then lastly, number three, to tell others about what you're learning. To tell others about what you're learning. Verse 13, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. Right? We want to we share these things with others. We want to declare these things to others to give the reason for the hope that is in us. Psalm 78, we talked about last our need to tell others, to tell the next generation the things that we know about God. The Bible reveals to us who God is and what he does, but it also tells us who we are and what we must do. So we have to prioritize understanding God's word and remembering his word if we're going to live holy and blameless lives for him. If we're not careful, our heart will start to redefine morality for us. It'll redefine morality for us. We'll, we'll be tempted to walk away from the faith because we'll decide, you know what? This God is no longer letting me do the things that I want to do. Right? We have to be in God's word so that our morality our morality compass is constantly being recalibrated and aligned with his will. So our application today is for me to simply ask you this question. Are you taking time to be holy? Are you taking time to be holy? Psalm 119 challenges us that if we want to be pure, if we want to be blessed and blameless, then we have to be in God's word. It takes time. We set aside time to be in his word. I put in my notes, your level of holiness is going to always be tied to the time you are spending in God's word. Your level of holiness is going to always be tied to the time you are spending in God's word. It's life-giving to us. It tells us who God is, what he's done. The more we know about that, the more we're carried through this life, the more we are living the way that he wants us to live. First John 3 says, if we're truly believers, we'll stop, we'll, we'll, we'll stop the pattern of sinning in our life and we will develop the pattern of righteousness. The way to that path of righteousness is to know him through his word, to guard his word in our heart so that we might not sin against him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us. We thank you that your methods of protection for your people have not changed over time. That the absolute best way for us to be guarded and protected from the things of this world, to be protected from our own hearts, our own tendencies to wander, the best tool possible is your word. It's there that we know you. It's there that we come to understand you, your character, 
your actions, the foundation that we need to, to follow you and to feel good about following you, to see that as the right decision, the best decision that we could ever make. It's through your word that you give us insight into what's right and what's wrong and why it's good for us to follow you. And God, you've given us the ability to memorize, to know, to remember your word. God, I pray that you'd give us the, the desire to know you like the psalmist here in 119. He's expressing such a desire to, to know you, to know your commands. God, I pray that you would create that longing inside of each of us. God, help us to see that by being in your word, you shape our minds, you shape our hearts, you shape our actions so that we're conformed to the image of your son. God, we thank you that it's the Holy Spirit, that it's that spiritual peace that, that comes in and, and really magnifies our human effort. God, the psalmist here is saying, like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do my part, but God, it's ultimately going to be you that keeps me from wandering. It's going to be you that, that, that doesn't forsake me. It's going to be you that keeps me fixated on you. And so, God, we're praying for that today. We're praying that as we come to your word, as we set aside time, as we take human part in, in, our, in our growth, as we seek to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, God, we know it's you. It's you and your power that will ultimately bring about permanent change within us. And so, God, we pray the same prayer as the psalmist. God, we're crying out to you and saying, Lord, Lord, you change us. You keep us from wandering. You keep us steadfast. Use your word to do what you've promised that it does to keep our way pure. God, help us to, help us to maximize our time this week, to set aside time to be with you, to know you so that we don't forget you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.